Mother Earth is always taking care of us. It's, she's never stopped taking care of us. We are the ones that need to take care of Mother Earth. It's a reciprocity. Welcome to the Our Nature podcast with me, Alyssa Benjamin. Our Nature explores the methods, systems, and practices that bring us into greater alignment with the natural world. The opportunity to live a more joyful and harmonious existence is available to each of us right in this very moment. So join me and let's rediscover what comes naturally. Hello, everyone. Welcome, welcome to a very special episode of Our Nature. This episode is not only the 50th episode of my podcast, but also the final episode of season three. So if you're totally new to the podcast, welcome to the show. You have 49 more episodes that you can binge. And if you're an Our Nature OG, you know that I choose my guests very carefully because I'm only interested in bringing you the most transformative, heart-opening conversations. And wait until you hear this one. But before we get into today's guest, because this is the 50th episode, I have to take a moment to reflect on this wild, wonderful journey that creating this show has been. When I started Our Nature in the summer of 2019, I could have never imagined that I'd be here recording my intro for my 50th episode. So much has changed since the first three episodes of Our Nature went live on July 1st in 2019, and I wanted to share a brief snapshot of it. There have been almost 40,000 downloads of the show. We have listeners from all over the world, including the U.S. where I'm based, but also Cape Town, Lima, Singapore, Beirut, and St. Petersburg. Hosting Our Nature has been a catalyst for my own personal growth in the most surprising and profound ways. And not only that, I've made so many new friends throughout the show. So my message this week is one of gratitude. Thank you to each and every one of you for subscribing, for listening, and for sharing the show. Thank you for the direct messages about what our nature has meant to you and for supporting me as I grow our nature into something much more than a podcast with offerings like my course homecoming, back to nature workshops that I've hosted, my seven-day immersion, community events. I will be taking the next few months off to review the show and also dream up new approaches and offerings. For example, if you're based in LA, I'll be launching something local and free in November. So be sure to sign up for my email list by heading to ournaturepodcast.com and scrolling to the bottom of the page so that you can be the first to know. You can also follow Our Nature on Instagram at Our Nature Always. And for all of you who aren't in LA, I'm not going completely away. At the end of this month, I will be speaking with Helen Phelan, one of my recent podcast guests. You can check out episode 46 of the podcast if you haven't already, where she was a guest. 
but this time I'll be a guest at her upcoming Body Neutrality Salon on October 28th. It's an interactive Zoom call where we will be talking about how nature has and continues to influence my relationship with my body. I'll also be sharing more about my physical health journey, which is not a topic that I've shared much about recently, but one that has revealed some very profound lessons for me. The best part about this event is that it's interactive. You'll be able to ask questions and connect. As mentioned before, I've met so many incredible people through this podcast, and it is truly my greatest joy to meet the Our Nature community. So I'd love for you to be there. I'd love to get to know you better. Registration is free, and I'll include a link to register in the show notes of this episode. Okay, without further ado, let's get into this week's episode. This week, I'm speaking with Felicia Cocotzin Ruiz, a curandera indigenous food activist and natural foods chef whose work is deeply rooted in the healing properties of all earth medicines. Her work has been featured in Food and Wine, Spirituality and Health, and on Padma Lakshmi's Taste the Nation, among many other platforms. Felicia lives in the Sonoran Desert with her husband, and her first book, Earth Medicines, will be released next month, so November 2021. In this episode, we discuss Felicia's relationship to nature as a child growing up in the desert, how she found her specific and distinct path in the healing space, what inspired her to write her book, Earth Medicines, and the intuitive process that guided her as the book emerged, why connecting with our direct ancestors is so important for our spiritual growth and well-being, why we may be drawn to particular cultures or lineages that are not our own, how to take an element break, and the curandera tradition and Felicia's initiation as a curandera. One thing I want to mention is that we talk about her book coming out in October during the interview, but the latest update is that it is now coming out in November. So if you'd like to pre-order it, now's the time. And I've included a link to do so in the show notes. I love this episode because it feels like an invitation to earth medicine, to the elements of nature, to connecting with your lineage and honoring your ancestors, and to trusting your intuition. This is such a rich and vibrant conversation and the perfect way to wrap season three. So let's dive right in. Here's my conversation with Felicia Cocotzin Ruiz. Felicia, welcome to Our Nature. I'm so thrilled to have you here. I'm so grateful to be speaking with you. We talked a little bit before I hit record about how we have we exist in this <laughs> micro world where we have so many connections prior to us meeting, and I just really love that. And so it feels like we've already met, even though we're just meeting now. <laughs> yes, um, thank you for having me. And yes, I, it is definitely a spider web of um, networking. <laughs> One of the 
first questions that I really love to ask people on my podcast is about their relationship to nature as a child. So what was your relationship to nature as a child? As a child? uh, Well, you know, I grew up here in the city in Phoenix, Arizona. Um, However, my whole family is from northern New Mexico. So I would say we we always knew we were part of nature. Uh, But when we went back home to New Mexico, I would say that's where we really plugged into nature in a different way, simply because we were on vacation with our family. So my my dad especially would take us to um, where he grew up, which was right there by the Pecos River. Um, We were up in the mountains. We were in the dirt. Like we were completely immersed, you know, with nature. And um, coming back, I think that um, because of where we live in Phoenix, you know, we have such great weather year round. Summer might be a little bit hot, but we still would be outside in the rain and things like that. But my siblings and I, um, we were very fortunate that where we lived right behind our backyard um, was just desert. And so um, even though it wasn't, I'm sure many people would probably look at that, that didn't grow up here in our city, you know, and think, wow, that doesn't look like a very fun place, but because it was just cactus and cactus and dirt and hills and things like that. But we really loved being out there that was kind of like an extension of our backyard. And so we were really connected to, um, I guess, nature in that way as, as children. Was that part of the reason for you staying in the area, do you think? I actually lived in Seattle for three years in my 20s because I had never lived anywhere else. And I was super familiar with the Southwest. I've been all over the Southwest as a child, as a young adult. And so um, when I was going through a really bad breakup, I said, what is the absolute opposite of Phoenix? And I came up with Seattle. And so I did and I did learn what it was like to live in a completely different environment and ecosystem and, and culture and everything. But I truly, really miss the desert the desert for me, um, it's not for everybody, but it's so absolutely um, just beautiful. It's so beautiful. You just have to know where to look. And I feel like that probably is why I have stayed where I am. Um, Does it mean I'll stay here forever? I don't know. I would love to also live by an ocean and things like that again. But it, it really is beautiful. If you've never been here, it's it's absolutely beautiful. Yeah. Can you talk, as someone, I grew up in upstate New York, so very different ecosystem and climate, and it's very humid. It's very, there's a lot of rain. And I think when I first started coming to the desert, it just felt so unfamiliar that I was like, oh, I don't know how I feel about this. But as, you know, now that I live in California and in Los Angeles, which let's be real, is basically a desert. It's, (laughs) we've used irrigation to make it appear that it's not, but it is. And I've really grown to love it and appreciate and connect with it. And so can you speak to that aspect of like, 
you know, you, you said there's, there is so much like magic and potency in the desert. And I've just like, I've just grown to appreciate that part of it so much. And can you talk about connecting, like for someone who has never been in a desert or thinking about some of your clients, like how you help them connect to the desert landscape? Well, I think the desert is is a master teacher. It really embodies determination and resilience and just um, hidden beauty. I think that a lot of people, um, they just think of the desert, I think, as a wasteland or barren. And it's actually one of the most uh, medicinal and edible landscapes in the entire world. However, people just don't see that because they're thinking of lush green, things like that. I will say if if you're listening to this, I would advise people or suggest that you don't come in the summertime, um, partly because it is so hot. And even for those of us that are from here, we're we're not out there, you know, in the middle of the day. It's extremely hot. Um, However, just being out there, it I don't I don't even need to have on like um music or, you know, anything to listen to, because it's just, there's so much beauty. And I really do feel that the plants, they each kind of have something to share. You know, when you, sometimes you'll go out there and you'll just see lots of shades of brown and muted, like kind of army greens, right? But then you'll just see one type of cactus, perhaps with like the most vibrant, bright fuchsia flower, and you can't miss it because it's just standing out. So, so what's the word? I mean, it, it's, it's like a, a fallen star. I mean, it's just absolutely bright. It just teaches you something. I kind of feel like when you're in other places, when everything's so green that you kind of miss out on certain stories like that. Yeah. I mean, they talk about this idea of the green wall. I've spoken about this in like my workshops before about how sometimes we can't even really see. We just see, you know, when it's a lush landscape, we just see a bunch of green. Or when it's a desert, we just see a bunch of brown. But it's like when we can actually see and perceive like the subtleties and the nuance of that landscape is when it really comes alive. And there's nothing like it. Yeah, it's very special. And also here in the Sonoran Desert, um, many people don't recognize that we do have seasons here with our plants. So, you know, the mesquite comes out at certain times. The saguaro fruit comes out at different times. Um, We'll see Palo Verde blossoms happening. You know, everything really does have its designated time, although it's changing a lot because of um, global warming, I believe. Um, so yeah, we do have seasons. We don't just have summer and summer, but as far as the plants go, you really can tell how they adapt to just um, their own their own season, their own time. What is your favorite season in the desert? Probably springtime, simply because I love being outside, going for desert hikes and walks, and it really is hard to do that in the summer unless you're unless your tolerance is, is able to take it. But in the springtime, oh my goodness, there are so many wildflowers and different cactuses, cacti that are blooming. 
Um, and the weather is just incredible. I mean, it's probably, you know, March, I would say we're at a high of like 80, you know, and you go out and it's just beautiful. Yeah, it sounds super lovely. I think it's interesting before I moved to LA, I was visiting and my partner was in New York. And I didn't realize this at the time because I hadn't lived in LA for a full year, but I had him come in at the end of February. And so it was like the perfect time to come. You know, it was like the most lush LA ever gets and the weather was great. And so he was like, oh, this is great. It's, you know, and then he came and he was like, oh, wait, (laughs) it's a desert and it's really hot. And, you know, it's not always like this. Um, So, yeah, spring is like such a magical time in a desert climate. I'd love to, you know, you offer so many different medicines. Like I was looking on your website You have Yoga Nidra, Olympia, and Heart Straightening Session. You have a a prayer bundle ritual. And you also offer workshops and ancestral food medicine. Can you share a little bit about how you came to these specific offerings? Like how you found your sort of path in the healing space? Right. So since I was very small, um, well, I think everyone, since they're small, your natural gifts come through at that time. And it's up to you if you're able to or if you can um, nurture those and cultivate those. So over the course of, of many years, like I just kept adding different things to my toolkit. I would really say like food was probably where it started. I grew up in a house that you know, both of my parents had type 2 diabetes, um, various health problems. Um, our own diet in our home was changing as a child. And when I started cooking at 13 for the house, I really, I mean, of course, I didn't have my own money to go buy groceries and things like that. We were limited to our little neighborhood. But I was always so curious, even at that time, what food could possibly do for our bodies, even as a a young, very young teenager. And so I would check books out from the library. I was watching PBS on Saturday mornings and cooking shows and things like that. That's kind of where it started for me, like with cooking. And then as I got a little tiny bit older, my love of plants and just having curiosity as a little girl uh, was like putting plants that I found, I would put them in in sometimes my mom's prescription bottles that were empty or my brother's film canisters, you know, uh, from back in the day, I would put water in them with the plants and I'd put them out in the sun and see what would happen, right? And so I kind of started experimenting, not knowing anything I was doing at that point. And then by the time I was 20, 21, I was able to start taking herbal classes and understand, wow, I was making infusions as a little kid, not knowing what I was doing. And so everything just kind of kept compounding and building and evolving. And so by the time I got to where I am now, um, I realized that, which is why I named the book Earth Medicines, is everything I was doing was an earth medicine. It may have come from different cultures, from my own culture, from Uh, just experimenting and things like that. And so I think what I'm known for is probably my food because that's where it all started. And that's probably the strongest um, 
branch of what I do, but I don't want to also diminish that I've also learned many other things. And food to me, at least from my experience, when I work with clients um, who go to a doctor, the doctor, um, like an allopathic doctor, the doctor usually does not bring up any form of food intake in any way. And so um, although I'm not a nutritionist, I do know that nutrient dense foods and, you know, things like that, whole foods are going to be supportive when you're healing. It's interesting, too, because I mean, I 100% agree with that. And in studying Ayurveda for so long, that is one of the primary ways to heal your body. And it's, it's not the only way. I mean, I think there are some illnesses where, you know, I've talked with my Ayurvedic Vaidyas before of like, you can, which is just means doctor, you can have like a perfect diet, but if the root cause is emotional, for example, which I know you address in a lot of your healing, it, you won't heal. The body kind of needs both of, you know, it needs to care for like the whole body, what you put in, what you, you know, release with your emotions and things like that. But to deny that food plays such a critical role in our health is just, I mean, this this approach has been around for thousands of years in every single culture. And so right. it's just so wild to me that as like a modern society and as a quote unquote advanced society, we don't see that as like a focal point for understanding health. Right. Well, in curanderismo, um, it's we look at everything holistically versus in a linear fashion. And so, yes, food plays a role, um, movement, um, releasing things that you might be carrying, all of that, all of that. And I think that uh, in the last five years, I would say, I can definitely see that there is just more attention being um, brought to to people eating whole foods again. I mean, I'm sure it's it's been coming back for a while, but I feel like people are really starting to understand that it's not about um, healing. Like, how do I say this? Like food is medicine, right? That That's something that is so trendy. People talk about this all the time. Food is medicine, food is medicine. But I'm like, it's not just medicine, it, it's preventative. And it's about, it's about eating all of the different foods that are going to help you um, not, you know, perhaps get sick in certain ways with certain ailments. But um, yes, you can use food as medicine as well. But that's what I'm seeing is a little bit of a shift happening in the last, say, five years. You have a book coming out in October called Earth Medicine's Ancestral Wisdom, Healing Recipes, and Wellness Rituals from a Curandera. I'd love to hear more about the origin story of this book and why you chose to write it now in this moment. Over the course of my life, I have always kept um, various notebooks of all of the things that I have done. Um, whether it's workshops that I have taught, recipes, like I have one book of just different workshops I've taught, one book of recipes I've, you know, put together or tried to put together. Um, I, I started this process a long time ago, and I always told myself that I would write a book. 
although I just didn't know what it would be about or what it would look like. And so in, I want to say 2018, maybe I took um, a workshop for writing a cookbook and that was in LA. And I kind of just wanted to know like, what, what does this entail? And do I even want it to be a cookbook? Like, what do I want this to be? And so I left the workshop realizing that I did not want to write it like an independent or self-published, that I did want to go bigger because I wanted to be able to reach a lot of people. And I also knew that I like um, discipline. And and from what I learned in the workshop, like they give you, you know, so many like deadlines and things. And that works for my nature because it pushes me to make sure I get things done. And so I put it out there. I said to a couple of my friends, I actually wrote it on kind of like a vision board type thing. I was like, I'm going to write a book before I turn 50. Do I know what the book is? No. Do I do I even know what's going to be in there? No. But I just knew that I had enough in me to somehow put something together. And so quite frankly, out of the blue, I received an email from a very well-respected publisher, uh, Roost Books, which is um, an offshoot of Shambhala Books. They reached out saying, would you like to write a book? And so um, I'm, I'm really summarizing that. Yeah, I still had to write a proposal and all of those things, but I got that book deal and it took two and a half years to write this book. We are recording this now in summertime, um, but I turned 50 um, one month before the book comes out. Oh, my God. I kind of got chills when you said that. <laughs> yeah, they, they chose the, you know, they chose the date when it would come out. And which ironically, um, I have been saying this whole time that this process, if any, if any of the listeners have written a book, you will understand. But it is it is a process. And. I kept saying, this feels like I'm giving birth to a piece of myself. And the date that they chose was my daughter's birthday. And so that's crazy. So my daughter will turn 21 and my book will come out on the same day. Yeah. That's, that's really beautiful. And I think people listening, if they've created anything can, that's really meaningful to them can understand that process. And how has that process been for you? Because this is like, I mean, you've put yourself out there in many ways for many years, but this is like a different form of that for sure. It's like, it's in print. It's in like, you know, the archives, like there's additions to this book. Like what was that internal experience like for you to kind of go through the writing and the expression of, of your the culmination of your lifetime of learning and your wisdom. So when the publisher reached out to me, you know, they said, um, I don't actually remember the whole conversation, but it was kind of like, we've been following your work or we have seen your work and we believe that you have content to make a book. And so when they said, what do you think the book would be about? And I said, I don't know. <laughs> so I really had to re-examine, like, what is it that people come to see me for the most? What do I help or do my best to help people with the most? Um, I see clients. Um, I give workshops. I teach all sorts of things. So I had to pull from all of those things and start kind of my proposal in a way like backwards because I didn't have 
I didn't have an idea. I just had my my work. And so I started writing things down. That's when I realized, wow, like I'm working with water. I'm working with air. I'm working with fire. I'm working with earth. Like there's my book. <laughs> so I made the book based on the four elements. And in some cultures, yes, they recognize others. But for the premise of the book, those were the four that I worked with uh, most. So what happened was I started putting the book together and um, broke it down even more within the four elements. And during that time, to be frank, like I prayed a lot because I recognized that this wasn't going to be a how-to book, which I do say in, in the book, this is not how to be a curandera or how to, it's just basically how to cultivate your own um, space as a healer. Everyone I believe is a healer. And I wanted to really make that clear that yes, I I help people in their healing. Um, some people call me a curandera. Some people call me a medicine woman. Some people call me a traditional healer. Whatever it is, I'm just helping people become their own healer, right? I'm not healing anybody. And so that's that was probably my biggest concern I had with the book was I wanted, I didn't want anyone to feel like, I don't know, shamanism's becoming like a very trendy thing now. And I didn't want people to feel like I was a shaman or calling myself a shaman, even though there are some very legit shamans. But um, in my own practice, I prayed so much while I was writing uh, the book because I wanted to convey to everyone, where no matter where they were from, no matter what their background was, this was not a book that I wanted to have a bunch of beautiful women walking around in luscious gowns with beautiful long goddess hair and all of those things. I didn't want that to be the book. I wanted it to really use my things, wear my clothes um, for any of my pictures, have um, my to make it look like it was my stuff because it was my stuff. You know, some of the, the picture, everything in there were my things or maybe things from my friends that we borrowed for certain shoots. But I did, I want it to look and be a, a tangible piece of work. And I hope that came through. Um, I really believe that the intention was so clear, which I even put in the book as well, what my intention was. I did not want there to be any cloudy um, reasons why I wrote the book. I got a preview of it. And I will say I've read many books sort of offering healings and, you know, different, different ways to connect in. And this one felt so inviting and exciting because there were so many there's so many different ways in that you shared that I had never heard of, or it was just such a, I really felt like you come through the pages and it was super beautiful, but not in a way that felt like cold or like you said, like unattainable. It felt like you were just saying like, come with me and let me show you. I'm glad you felt that way. Um, Given the type of work that I do, I have, you know, read my share of many um, books and herbal books and things like that, cookbooks. And I always love when people would share 
the messy part of the kitchen or what didn't go well, you know, or just share the stories of things like that. I, I feel like some books are a little too curated where everything looks absolutely perfect. And as the reader, you're like, well, that's beautiful, but I don't think I'm ever going to make that because it's going to be too hard or it's not going to look like that. And so um, I made an effort to really talk about how I actually do live, which is I love getting things from you know a thrift store. I love recycling things if possible. Um, you know, I, I really didn't want people to feel that they had to like really go out of their way to buy things that were very hard, you know, to, to come by for the recipes. And because a lot of the recipes are using things like in ritual, you know, air, it didn't require anything, you know, but maybe a candle or something like that. Yeah. And the other thing I felt was like, I think in a lot of the recipes and and different practices you offered, there was like, there was an overlap in some ways of certain ingredients too. So like, you know, it didn't feel like for each one you had to go and get 10 different ingredients. And then for the next recipe, you had to get 10 other different ingredients. Like there were things and you also gave many options, which I appreciate. So you were like, here's some essential oils that I would use, for example, but you could make your own. Like, I think it kept reading, like, feel into it, like do what feels good to you. Like it was kind of like, this is what I've done, but you find you know, what you like, or here's, here's other ways. And that I really appreciate because part of healing, as you mentioned, is you can't heal people. People heal themselves. It takes building that remembrance of your own wisdom and like that reconnection to your own intuition to be on a healing path. And I feel like the way you write your book really, um, supports that journey for people. Yeah, that was very intentional um, because because I work with so many people, um, I recognize, so you brought up a couple things. And so it's, it's neat for me to hear because um, that we're talking about this. So I always tell people, you know, you should start with, let's say, five to 10 herbs in your house to work with. Anything outside of that should be very unique and special, but really just start with five. Know those five very well. That's what I was taught, that you should know how to use them in all different ways. And then from there, you can expand. And to me, expanding is is having 10. 10 is like a great beginning apothecary. And so that's why in the book, I use a lot of things that are overlapped because I didn't want people to feel overwhelmed that they had to go and buy all of these different herbs and and things to make their, their potions. And also because the book speaks on about nurturing your inner healer, it would be silly of me to say like only do the way only do this the way that I'm doing it and so it's really about how I teach even people um in in classes and workshops on eating it's about intuitive eating it's about listening to your inner light and so throughout the book I talk a lot about you know this is what I do but follow your ancestral lineage or follow the plant that works best for you And so it's cultivating your intuition while you're using the book and trusting your intuition. And if people say, well, I don't know 
if I have that intuition yet, then I'm like, well, you can go check out recipe this one, which will help fine tune your intuition, you know? So it kind of just plays within itself. I found myself wanting to experiment. And I mean, I haven't made any of the recipes yet, but I found myself just the way that they were written. I was like, ooh, I want to, like, maybe I'll try this way or maybe, you know, and so that I really appreciate. And we're going to get into the structure of the book, how you broke everything down by the four elements, which I absolutely love. But I wanted to talk about the foreword of your book, which your aunt wrote. And I found it really powerful. And in it, she says, quote, I believe that humanity needs to revisit its relationship with the natural world so that future generations of all people, plants and animals may have a healthy future. Whether or not we think about them as spiritual or earth medicine based practices We all have an everyday existence that in some way incorporates the land we live on, the food we eat, the medicine we use, the language we speak, and the rituals we tend to. We share these practices with our family or tribal community, yet we hardly ever give much thought to how these practices are so crucially interconnected to our well-being, physical, spiritual, mental, and emotional. Can you share more about this perspective and you know, sort of what she's saying in this, because I think it's really important. Yeah. So when they said, well, do you want to have a forward? I said, I do. And I said, I know the perfect person for this um, because she's been a teacher for me. Uh, So my auntie, uh, Mona, um, she, one, she has an incredible memory. She's actually known for her incredible memory of just learning as a child. Um, the things that she's shared with me, it's like I realized that she would always take me back to when she was very young, like her learning. And so it was ingrained in her just how we're not disconnected from nature. We're just, we really are a part of nature. And so she's been a great teacher for me in that aspect, because I think that's something that we saw so much during the, um, using air quotes, like the pandemic, you know, during COVID of 2020, so many people were like stuck inside and they were, you know, in, inside their homes and, and they kept on saying, it, it's, you know, we, we need to be, get out in, in nature. We need to get in nature. And, and I was thinking, okay, when it comes time for this forward, like we are going through this major time in our life that we're never going to forget. And I love that she really, you know, she kind of hit on that. Like we feel so disconnected to nature, but we're part of nature. Like how did we become somehow not part of nature? We are still beings on this earth. And so I love how she talks about the borders, how you can't see borders from outer space and how, you know, we have really, um, I don't think she said this, but this is what I kind of feel. It's like we're, Mother Earth is always taking care of us. It's, she's never stopped taking care of us. We are the ones that need to take care of Mother Earth. It's a reciprocity. 
And so what I really felt in the forward was that she touched on all of these little things, how, you know, going back to our earth medicines, um, it's such an integral part. It's not the only way, you know, we are living in a time where, of course, medicines are important and things like that. But it's a remembrance of going back to our true nature. I love that you say remembrance because in the work that I do, which is really an invitation of like helping people reconnect with nature and therefore their inner nature and themselves, I've referred to it as like a remembering because it's almost like we don't need to learn. It's in our bio. I mean, it's what is it? billions of years of, I I don't know how many, 13 maybe billion years, don't quote me on that, of evolution. And only in the last 10,000 have we existed in this like very artificial, like man-made built environment. So even just from a rational standpoint, it's like we've evolved to be in connection with nature because we are it. And so it's, I really appreciate that this book is all about that. It's like invitation after invitation to connect in. And in the process, it's not just about like, here's a healing recipe because it tastes good and it's good nutrients. It's like, it it goes deeper. Like you go deeper and here's how it helps you connect to you to your inner wisdom or your intuition. It's like that constant remembering that you cultivate in the way that you share these these practices and recipes. So I really appreciate that. I love that. And, you know, um, when, when you were talking just now, it just made me think like, I feel that a lot of us, you know, maybe not in my own direct circle, but many people, they, they're like, well, I, I need to learn these things. I don't know those things. And I'm, I always do say you, you just have to go a little bit deeper and, um, and just really hone in on that memory because it is in there. I think we all have it. We all, because everyone that I talked to all had like a grandmother, a great grandmother, an auntie, or, you know, maybe a grandfather, that worked with earth medicines, even though it may have changed over time because everyone's family maybe had to hide certain things the way they did things in certain ways, but they all have survived. And I'm like, I'm sure you do things now. You just don't know why you don't know the why. And that's what I'm, I try to help people understand. And, you know, just an example, it's kind of like cleaning your house for new year's, you know, it's not just, you know, people will do that, but they might not know the why. And so I think if I invite people to always ask, why do we do this? And then start going back farther with the elders. And sometimes stories come back saying, wow, like it was to get rid of the old energy and bring in new energy and stuff. I'm like, well, now we're talking about energy. It's not necessarily cleaning. And so that's what I have found with people help remembering things like when they do something, they are just doing it because it's been part of their family history, maybe eating something for a special occasion or whatever. And, but they don't know why. And I think that's such a part and that goes back to remembering. You touch on something that I was really intrigued by, which is 
encouraging people to connect to their cultural heritage and ancestral lineage. And admittedly, that's something that like I have not done in my own journey, um, spiritual journey specifically. For me, I'm I'm half Ashkenazi Jewish and half like a mix of, you know, European. I'm full European. I think it's like Northern Europe and and I did grow up in the Jewish faith, but I wasn't really like connected in from a spiritual level, I would say. You know, I kind of just like went through the motions and learned the practices. And I would love to hear like what makes connecting with our 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 direct ancestors so essential. That's always been um, part of my family's way. You know, we're a mixture of different um backgrounds because of colonization, right? So many of many of us are have Spanish blood, um, Pueblo blood, you know, native, indigenous, um, Mexican, um, different tribes within Mexico, all these different things. And so working with ancestors or praying for ancestors to make their way back to creator, like all of that was just how I grew up. It was very um, noticeable when I got into my 20s that that not everybody, like they've had a religion. They may have followed a religion, but they, I guess it was interesting to me, like they never talked to their ancestors. You know, maybe they would say like, I have an angel or a guardian angel or, or my grandma's my guardian angel. But I used to think like, wow, like if that's what that is, I must have a thousand guardian angels or like, I mean, because I, we were always taught that our ancestors are always behind us and with us. And that's why we pray that they're well. That's why we ask that. Um, that's why I even say in the book, I only work with ones by saying a, a specific statement, you know, working with ones that are aligned and it's everyone's belief system. And so, um, as I got older and started working, you know, with clients, and I really saw that many of them were leaving different religions for various reasons, um, like organized religions, but they felt very lost, spiritually speaking. And so whenever I felt that working with ancestors would be beneficial for them, I would encourage them and, and help them on that. And they always came back to me saying, like, this is one of the most beautiful things I've ever done. Like, because I I don't want anyone to ever think like we're not we're not worshiping the ancestors. We are calling them in for guidance and calling them in for support and protection and help. And, you know, before I got on this podcast, you know, just like I am, I'm constantly doing work now virtually and, and in person still, but I always pray to certain ancestors, ones that I knew perhaps had a big mouth or a lot to say. I'm like, can you be with me during this podcast? You know, um, you always were good at sharing wisdom or you always had a way of speaking. Like, I want you to be with me here. And in my belief system, not only do we give gratitude to all of the ancestors that have paved the way for us and made our lives perhaps easier, but we also ask guidance and, and we're always asking for help. And it's, it's, I don't know, because I see like a lot of people, they feel that I think it's the, the, 
like movies have made working like they think of it as like working with a Ouija board or like something scary, but it's not like that at all. It's very beautiful. And I really do believe that there are certain ancestors that I would say are just like always with us because for whatever reason, they're, they're like assigned to us or they're aligned so much with us. And I believe that because our ancestors can just go on until time begins, right? That we can call on different ones um, for different parts of um, different areas in our life that we might need help with. And so listening to you say that your background um, being Ashkenazi Jewish and being European, um, I don't work solely with indigenous people or black and brown community. It's a big portion of who I work with. Um, But many of the white people that I work with, I'm always like a little bit hurt because I hear them often say, well, I don't know what I am. I'm just a mutt. And I hear that all the time. And so I'll say like, well, what is your background? And they'll say, well, I'm French, Irish, Scottish. And then on this side, I'm like, okay, let's start there. What do you resonate with? Like, just really, and we'll do like maybe a little short meditation or something. And they're like, I don't know why, but I always am interested in, let's say, plants of the Mediterranean. You know, I love lavender. I love rosemary and all of that. I'm like, okay, that might be an ancestor coming through to say like, hey, this is a natural gift that you're interested in. And let's, so let's really work with that. And then going from there, it just expands. And so it's not, it's really taking like this mystery, but honoring your intuition and then working with it in a physical way, which is all about the book because it's everything from salt to plants to different um, actual earth, earth, mud and clay, things like that. I love that the way in for people who don't feel like they've cultivated a strong connection with their ancestors yet is through noticing like what plants maybe they gravitate towards because a practice that I like to do is called inner ecosystem. I just made this up, but (laughs) basically it's like, and you talk about this a little bit. I saw on an Instagram post, I saw you, you kind of mentioned this, this practice as well, but it's like for inner ecosystem, I just say like, Go throughout your week and just notice what like plants are in your consciousness. Like maybe you take a walk and you, yeah, connect with rosemary or maybe you are near your house and you see a bunch of lizards coming out. Like just, and then pick one and learn about that plant or creature and see what like wisdom it has for you because it's such a mirror to, you know, nature is such a mirror to us. So I love that the way in sometimes can be back to our ancestors can be through that same practice, which feels really exciting to me. And I think I'm really interested in like using that to rediscover those parts of myself. A question I have about that is um, ever since, you know, for me also, ever since I was very little, I had this very, very strong connection to India. Not sure why, like I, you know, but I remember there's this kind of funny story, but when I was like seven or eight, I was very dark skinned when I was younger because my dad is very dark skinned and I had jet black hair. And so 
I told my auntie, I, I was like looking through picture books at the library and I took one out about ancient India or, or about India. And, you know, I said, oh, I, I look like that. Like, I think I, I must be from India. And she, she just was like someone who really allowed me to like have whatever imagination or ideas I wanted to have, which was kind of nice at the time. And she said, yeah, yes. Like, <laughs> and I remember I called my mom and I said, mom, I've discovered where I'm from. I'm from India. And she's like, okay, Alyssa. But that connection continued. And I, I, I now study, I've studied Ayurveda for the past 10 years and I've never been to India. I really can't explain to you why I feel so connected. It kind of just, it, sort of confuses and astounds me at the same time. But can you talk about that as well? Like, I'm just so curious. I'm like, I don't have any ancestry there. Like, what is that? Is it like my soul recognizing something? Maybe my soul at one in a past life was there. I'm not sure what that could be. Yeah. So I think that this topic for me gets sticky Oftentimes, just being indigenous and having now um, a lot of our medicines being misappropriated. So, um, and I'm not suggesting that with you. What I'm saying is that it, it has become such a sticky topic with people saying like, well, I just feel that I'm, maybe I was a medicine woman in a past life in Apache, you know, or something. I'm like, okay, well, that could be, right? But it all just depends on um, what your intention is. Um, you clearly, you know, just speaking to you, like, you know, if you have a passion about something and a desire to learn, um, it's about honoring that part of you. And everyone's belief system is different. Some people may not believe in a past life or something like that. It's about, you know, learning whatever it is that you're learning, but using it in a respectful way. And of course, honoring the teachers that have taught you and things like that. I think that from my experience working with people, I often find that the ones that didn't grow up with a lot of ritual in their own home or like any kind of, I would say, magic, but not in like a witchy way, just, you know, just like magic, you know, that they are often um, drawn to these beautiful cultures that it's just immersed in their day to day. And so maybe at a young age, that could be, you know, you saw that magic and it just resonated with your heart and with your spirit. Yes. And I think that's a really wonderful way to put it because I thought about this with my own relationship to Ayurveda because I have seen things, you know, happen where someone will study Ayurveda for a couple of years and be like, I'm a practitioner. And I'm like... <laughs> I studied it for 10 years, granted, not in like, um, like I haven't gone away to a college, but I study with Vaidyas who have like done this for so many lineages and they live in India and they, they know the books of Ayurveda by heart. They can speak the shlokas, which is incredible. And I feel like the more I know, the less I know. You know what I mean? It's like the more, the deeper I go, the more I'm like, I know nothing. <laughs> and I think that comes back to though, like, that role that we all play when we study a culture and when, you know, and how we honor it, it's like, how can we be a student and have that like respect and that like reverence 
because, oh my God, that's, you're right. It's like magic. All of this, this magic exists. And yeah, how do we really honor that? So that's something that I've really thought about. And it's something that I hope people who are listening consider whenever they feel drawn to a culture. And I do think follow it because that's exciting. Like you're sharing your heritage and a lot of your ancestral wisdom with us and like inviting us in. And it's like, how do we honor that in a a respectful way? But also, you know, I want to mention, because I talk a lot about this in the book, is the book really is its ancestral wisdom. But I think some people might think like, oh, it's all about her ancestors. It's more about your ancestors. And so that's what I have noticed is that a lot of people, you know, like I was saying earlier, they'll, they'll say things like, well, I don't know what I am. And they'll use the word I'm a mutt. And I'm like, let's go back and see what you are. Because even though my family was physically uh, like truly colonized, many people's families in other parts of the world, you know, they had their own type of colonization. They had their own um religions change and things like that. And so I think what happens is a lot of people of European, especially lineage, they just think of themselves also as white, like, and I'm just paraphrasing what what I hear all the time, people will just say, I'm just white. <laughs> like, but, what, but what does that mean? Like, let's go back and see, because, you know, like I say in the book, There are some beautiful like Celtic ways, you know, that are very similar to the things that we're talking about. Um, There's very beautiful, um, actually, Spanish ways and Italian ways and Norwegian ways and all of these different beautiful earth-based practices that they too were disrupted. And so I want people to not feel that they have to go to Peru to do ayahuasca or they have to go to India or they have to go to where I'm from to like learn an earth-based medicine. It really often is just um, they've not had the permission to go back and investigate their own blood way because it just feels so they feel disconnected in their own way. And that's who I that's what I'm saying by many of the other earth-based medicines being misappropriated um, and culturally appropriated as well. And, you know, going back to um, tying it in with with the ancestors, you know, bringing the ancestors into your daily practice, you are healing yourself, right? But from my learning, you're also healing them. Because, you know, I talk, um, I didn't talk about this in the book, but I've talked about it on various um, panels and presentations that it wasn't until 1978 that a Native American person could actually practice their quote religion. We don't have religions, but we have ways of living. And we weren't even, I mean, allowed to like do specific dances or even what people now know as smudging, you know, working with sacred smoke, things like that were actually outlawed, you know. And so I feel like um, that's so recent to me, 1978, that's very recent. And so for me, it's about reclaiming our ways. It's remembering our ways. It's healing 
the ancestors who were not allowed to do those things or maybe did things in secret or combined it into Catholicism. So it looked like they were practicing religion. And so just going back, you know, to your own family, I mean, that story is also in other cultures as well um, in, in different ways. And so it's a matter of saying, you know, what ways did we have to hide certain things that we practiced? And is me uh, going to Peru, working with ayahuasca, helping my ancestors? And so that's why I always tell people, you know, it's going to be more powerful if you're working with your own ancestors and your lineage, because you're not only healing yourself, you're healing your ancestors as well. has this I don't know if it comes from Maya I think it comes from Maya Angelou but Oprah shared this um, this idea about like recognizing who paid for you it reminds me of what you're saying it's like someone who you've never met in the past has done something in their life that then pays for the life that you have now so how do you honor that because they they paid for you in some way. And then how do you then pay for someone else? Like, you know, your future, the future generations that you'll never meet. And I, I just, yeah, that that's like, that's such a beautiful thread. Um, and it especially relates to this idea of like energy. Because if energy can't be created or destroyed, it's just transformed. We see that in nature. And it's like, how are we transforming the energy from our ancestors for the future and it's a really powerful hmm I'm just taking it in <laughs> your book is organized through the elements air earth fire and water I know we can't go into everything that's that's involved in all of that but because this podcast is about really connecting with nature as a pathway towards connecting with ourselves could you briefly just touch on each of the elements and maybe one way that we could connect in with each one? Sure. So what I like to to do is to just help people even visually. You know, I talk a lot about doing this on my Instagram post about taking an element break. And so, you know, I say people take a bathroom break, they'll take a smoky break, a coffee break, I'm like, go take an element break. And so an element break helps you understand basically even the book. So what I mean by that is, if you step outside, you will have the air on you, especially if there's wind, right? And you just can stand there and you feel your hair moving or your dress or you know, your clothes moving, you feel it on your skin, it just feels feels like it's moving something, right? 
the sun, you know, fire, it's on your skin and it feels good. Even if it's hot outside, it just feels good in that moment to be out of the, say, fluorescent lights or maybe you're inside just to get that sun on you. It's radiant. It's life-giving. It's energizing. And then if you are able to be in a space like where I live, you know, it's quiet and I often can hear the birds singing. I can hear the wind if it's blowing. I can see a squirrel, you know, making a little sound in the tree or something. And that alone is like you're working with the vibration even of air, of energy moving, of frequencies moving. Um, if you're able to be outside and, and you're feeling um, a mist of rain or it is raining, you could be, uh, I, I don't know, experiencing, experiencing them all at the exact same time. And uh, to me, like that's symbolic of the book. It's taking every element down to its absolute bare um, essentials. And what does that feel like to you? I know me personally, and I know a lot of other people that say this, going to an ocean just feels so healing. And you can't even explain why, but it just does. It feels like the salt water, the sun, you've got the sand on your feet, you know, the water is on your body. It's like you can't explain it, but you truly do feel better. And so that's what the book is about. It's about all of those bare essentials that um, are represented within each element. I thought you were going to say like, well, here's a incense that I know how to make. And <laughs> but I actually love that you chose to talk about ways to connect in that you don't need special tools to do. I think that's like, that's it really. You know what I mean? It's like we, nature is all around us and within us. And we just need to give ourselves permission to, like you said, to pause, to go outside, and to be present. I think presence is is really key because you can be out, be in nature, but not be connected to it. And you know, I know a lot of people who have every imaginable biohacking gadget. <laughs> And I don't have any of those things, you know, and I just say, you know, you can just go outside, you know, just try to get outside, take your shoes off, you know, you don't need all of this special stuff, like just literally go outside and feel all of the elements, you know, work with them in those ways. But I think uh, you hit it on the nail, like so many people think like, oh, we need to buy things and, and make all these things. But actually, it's just a matter of um, first acknowledging that you're part of nature and um, the rest just kind of follows. Along those lines, if someone's hearing this and they want to connect with the land that is close to them, because I think that even if, you know, I'm from Europe, <laughs> my ancestors are from Europe, I grew up in upstate New York and now I live in California and the land is very unfamiliar to me. So I've been taking, I moved here six months ago and I've been taking the last six months to get to know and connect with the land that is close to me at this, at this point. If someone, regardless of whether they just moved to a place or not, but 
say they're like, well, I don't know if I've ever really like connected in to the land in a way that feels meaningful. How would you suggest they go about that? I think the first thing I would suggest, because this is what I suggest to my herbal students, is to find out what the name of the land is that you're on. I would say that's probably step number one, because many people don't even know where they're standing. Um, They're standing on stolen land, so all of the names are going to be different than what their original names with. I think just like me meeting you, if I just was like, you're the podcaster, you're the podcaster, I'm talking with the podcaster, it's, we're disconnected. But because I know your name, oh, hi, Alyssa, like, now we're connected in that way. So now we are forming a relationship. So I would say that's probably the first thing to find out what the name is of the stolen land that you're on, because then you can start understanding and form a relationship. Because oftentimes, the name of the original land has something to do and many clues that represent where it is that you're standing. (laughs) So it could be, you know, that you're standing in a dry wash area or you're standing, you know, water people, where are you standing? And that, that can help you. And then secondly, um, if you're just, just your regular person wanting to do, you know, figure some things out, I would try to go for walks on in different parks that don't have, um, like here we have preserves. So everything's just the way it was, you know, before, you know, now we have eucalyptus trees and olive trees and all of these other trees that are not from here. Um, so it's a matter of like going to those areas so you can actually see now and feel and understand why it was named perhaps that name. And really just start with maybe one or two plants. What are you um, attracted to? What's resonating with you? I hear all the time people saying, wow, like, how big are saguaros, you know? And I'm like, oh, they're huge. And like, I, and they'll say that when I went to Phoenix, you know, or Arizona, I saw them and I'm, they're so majestic and they're so beautiful. I'm like, okay, so if you move here, that would be a plant I would suggest that you at least start understanding. I really like that because, like you said, you by giving it a name, you're signaling to yourself that you're creating a connection. Well, you're signaling to yourself, but I think more importantly, you're signaling to your surroundings. Yes. That, to me, that's more important than to yourself. Does, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, you're you're telling where you are. I you know I'm here, I'm here to learn about you. Um, I now know what your real name is, um, and and plants listen and they hear and they have their own frequencies. And so once you start making that connection, you you are. It's kind of like the ancestor thing. Like you're healing yourself, but you're also helping heal your surroundings, you know, their ancestors. And that, you know, now all of these cities and structures and things are being taken down. They're seeing their own um, families disappear and their own names change and their language is changing, all of those things. So it's, it's, going, it's going back to understanding that we are not separate from them at all. Your book comes out when, uh, what's the date? October? 
October 19th. Yes, my daughter Paloma's 21st birthday. <laughs> Perfect. So your book comes out October 19th. How can people, can they pre-order the book at this point? Or are you going to start a pre-order? How can people receive this this book? Because it really is just such a beautiful offering that you've created. Thank you. I first encourage anyone listening to um, to visit or order from your local independent bookstore, um, first and foremost. And um, if you do not have one or you do not know where to order one, you can order directly through the publisher. That would be my second choice. And then third, of course, you can find it on all the other large platforms. Um, what I don't know 100%, maybe we can look this up, but I think I do have a 30% off promo that is offered through the publisher, and I believe it's good through the end of October. So even for the people listening to us then, uh, they can go to Roost Books um, or Shambhala Publishing and use um, the code, it's EM30, and actually get 30% off their book. Um, and share, you know, they make wonderful gifts because what I tell everyone when I get a book that I absolutely love and I feel like it's going to help in someone else's healing, you know, I love sharing that with them. So that's what I'm hoping people will do so we can all heal collectively. You mentioned earlier that your medicine is not Eastern or Western, but earth medicine, and it's called curanderismo. Is that, am I saying that correctly? Well, it's pronounced curanderismo, yes. And, and then it took you 23 years to earn the title. You wrote this of curandera. I just would love for you to share a bit more about how you would describe that. Right. So in my tradition um, of curanderismo, which is um, someone who practices all of the different healing modalities we were kind of talking about, in my tradition, we have midwives um, as one branch of curanderismo. We have bone setters as one branch. We have people that work with like spiritual, like of the mind, you know, um, massage. There's, so there's five branches and I've studied massage therapy. I'm trained in that modality and also um, work as an herbalist. So those were my two main branches of curanderismo. And most curanderos or curanderas, they usually overlap. So let's say my sister, who's a midwife, she also works with herbs because, you know, she'll have different herbs for different um, clients, maybe for whatever part of pregnancy they're going through. And also massage. So maybe she's doing massage or stretching. And then there's people that might do bone setting or, you know, or me, like I might work with spiritual ways, but also with herbs. So we kind of overlap all of the different trainings that we've learned or gifts that we were naturally born with. In my case, after studying with many teachers and learning things, just my natural gifts and, and cultivating those, and I think it was 2018 now, one of my teachers, um, her name is uh, Patricia Federico, she took me aside and said that it was time for me um, more or less to come out of the curandera closet because I, um, in this tradition, 
So a lot of our grandmothers may, we may recognize them as curanderas, but they didn't have a sign on the door that says like curandera, come on in. Or like, you know, now things are more modern too. Like I have a website and things like that. So it's evolving. And, but at the same time, we're still respecting the traditional ways. And so for instance, um, even though maybe in many of the barrios here, there might be a curandera, that everyone knows she's a curandera. Like everyone knows, go ask her, she'll help you with the baby's colic. Oh, she'll know what to do for your head. Or you need a, a smoke cleansing because you just experienced a car accident. Go ask her. Like we all know these people. They may not identify necessarily as a curandera or a curandero, but the community recognizes them. And so in the tradition, um, what often happens is um, if you have a teacher you've been training with or maybe an elder teacher that finally just says, you know what, it's now okay for you to call yourself a curandera. And so that's what happened with one of my elder teachers. She said she now believed after 23 years it was time that I could call myself a curandera. And so she got some other elders together and put a ceremony together where I was able to earn um, some of my sacred tools that we use in our practice. The reason why I brought that up and why I have spoken on this topic often is because I don't want to diminish the people that have actually put in the training and the legwork and the the um, learning process, but I because of where we are now, so many people now can YouTube things and or you know go away for a weekend somewhere and come back and suddenly they're like I'm a curandera and I'm like well you know. I don't want to ever say you are not that, but we work with so many different scenarios and we've had to learn so many different things that I didn't even feel comfortable calling myself after 23 years. And so it's, and that's why I talk about this because although there are people that are definitely um, what I would say like true curanderas in their spirit, in their heart, they know what to do they still might not even call themselves. They may have never had a ceremony, but it's a matter of your community recognizing that you are that person. And I think that that part of our tradition um, is so important because of where we are now, especially in 2021, like you really can Google some things and then people can set up and say they're a curandera. And to be honest, like, I would not want to go see one of those people that are just starting out on their journey in that fashion that feel like they know everything because I'm now almost 50, you know, next month and I don't know everything. I'm still learning. And that's going back to even what you were saying about Ayurveda. Like there's a sense of, um, yes, I'm proud that I earned that title, but I still have 50 more years of learning to go. And that's part of the, the magic of this culture is we're living tradition. It almost feels like, from my perspective, us being in this, like our souls being in a physical body, it's like, really, it seems like the entire point is to learn. Learn about ourselves, learn about each other, learn, you know, just kind of like have a learning journey in whatever way that looks right. like. And so 
yeah, I think that speaks to that intention as well. Exactly, because this is not something that, you know, you go to school and you come out with a degree. It's constantly, um, you're constantly learning. There's there's so many layers, but yes, I think um, where we are now, uh, I'm excited to see people talking about it. At least now when I say to people, you know, let's say even 15 years ago, people would be coming to see me for, like they would recognize I was a curandera, but they didn't even know what the word really meant. But they were kind of just like, oh, go see Felicia. She'll know what to do. And so now at least I'm in a space where if I say I'm a curandera, um, oftentimes many people have at least heard that word, maybe not how it's being pronounced, maybe on paper. <laughs> they'll say, like, I recognize that word. And um, they'll know, like, oh, I think that's like a medicine person. Like the, they at least have an association where I think a long time ago, um, meaning like in the 90s and early 2000s, like I think even then people were still a little they weren't sure what that was exactly. Is there anything else that you would like to share before we wrap up? You had wonderful questions. Um, not really. I just, I'm really excited to, um, to see this, this manifestation really that I, I put out there come to fruition. I am beyond grateful um, to all of the people that helped me write the book because it really is a peek into my life in many ways. I share a lot of different stories. And so I think um, to me, it's, it's, I guess if there's anything else I have to share in the book is Everyone keeps asking me, well, what is it? Is it a cookbook? Is it, what, what, it, what is your book? It's a lifestyle book. It's also a fraction um, of a biography of many things that have happened in my life that made me uh, want to create the book and share in this manner. Um, it's a recipe book because there are many um, recipes for cooking as well in there. It's also an herbal book for like folk herbalists and kitchen healers. Um, it is it is a book for the people. It is medicine for the people, and so I think that's how I will <laughs> end end what that what that is for me. Okay, now we're going to get into the last five questions. And that's a rapid fire round I ask every one of my guests. So are you ready for the last five questions? Uh, sure. <laughs> I always ask because I want to hear. Are people ready? <laughs> Reluctantly ready. <laughs> I, I'm so curious because we've had, we've had so many questions, but yes, I am ready. <laughs> what is your favorite place in nature? Probably near a body of water, probably a river or an ocean. What is the animal, mineral, or plant that resonates with you the most? Hummingbird. What is one thing we can do right now to connect with the natural world and bring more harmony into our lives? To breathe with intention. What is the greatest lesson nature has taught you? Mm. Resilience. Complete this sentence. Nature brings me. Joy. This was such a, such a rich and lovely conversation. And 
I'm very grateful to be speaking with you. And I'm really like heartened that you're putting this book out. I mean, the universe wanted you to put this book out, but I feel like it's such a gift to so many people. So I just feel really like heartened that we all get to receive it. Oh, thank you. Um, It's dedicated to my ancestors. And I believe that more than the universe, our ancestors, I think my ancestors are the ones that somehow made all this magic happen and, and it unfolded the way that it did. So I'm excited. I'm excited to literally release the book when in October 19th and, and just let it be out there and, and with the intention of helping, helping people. Hello again, it's me, Alyssa, hopping on here for a quick sign-off before the episode and this whole season truly ends. There's so much to take away from this episode. I hope you feel encouraged to learn more about the land you're currently on, to connect with your ancestral medicine if you haven't already, and to trust that your intuition will always lead you to what was meant for you. Once again, I'm so grateful for your support as I continue to grow the Our Nature community. I'll be taking a few months off before I'm back in the new year with a new season and so many new things. Though this podcast will be on a brief pause, I'll still be participating and hosting workshops and events in the next couple of months. So be sure to follow at Our Nature Always on Instagram or sign up for my newsletter at ournaturepodcast.com so you'll be in the know. Wishing all of you a healthy, joyful, nature-filled next couple of months, and I'll see you on the internet or on the trail. So long. You just listened to an episode of the Our Nature Podcast. If you liked this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review it. Thank you so much for listening. Stay curious, and I'll see you next week.